Hello. Before we start this podcast, we would like to include a trigger warning for discussions of eating disorders, mental health issues and self-harm. Thank you. Hello, my name is Natasha. And my name is Bella. Today we'll be talking to Dr Felicity Sedgwick about women on the autism spectrum, looking at why girls and young women are less likely to be diagnosed than their male counterparts and whether girls are better at masking their autistic traits and if so, why. Felicity currently works at King's College London as a research assistant. She completed her PhD studentship at the Centre for Research in Autism Education, where her work was focused on girls and young women on the autism spectrum. She was particularly interested in how girls on the autism spectrum interact and socialise with their peers in mainstream educational settings. Thank you for coming on the podcast today, Felicity. Thanks for inviting me. Okay, to start on. Um, obviously the podcast is focusing on misdiagnosis and underdiagnosis mm-hmm. of autism in women and girls. So why do you believe this um, trend for misdiagnosis or underdiagnosis is, um, happens in women and girls? So the sort of standard explanation is that the very earliest cases of autism and Asperger's that were talked about in the 1940s were majority male uh, children. Um, and that trend kind of stuck because it had been first identified in boys people thought of it as a male condition um, so they look for it more in boys and that's still true today Um, we're only just starting to learn about autism in women and girls Um, it's not so well known a lot of people go oh I didn't know girls could be autistic Um, I've had that question a lot in my work Um, and also a lot of our diagnostic measures are developed with majority male samples which means that um, they're developed with a more male presentation, therefore they're better at picking up that male presentation. Um, So girls who don't have some of the same stereotypical behaviours might find it, uh, might be more, less easily um, diagnosed. So following on from that, do you (laughs) believe current autism assessment tools such as the ADOS test are a suitable method of assessment for autistic women? That's a really good question. Um, I think they can be. I think um, they possibly need adapting rather than sort of throwing out altogether for autistic girls and women. Um, So for the ADOS, maybe something like having a slightly lower threshold for a diagnosis. Um, So at the moment you're supposed to score seven points, sort of have seven behaviours that are clear and maybe using a threshold of four would be more appropriate. Um, Or particularly for um, slightly older women and girls, well, sort of teenagers and women, adult women, um, the current algorithm doesn't include the repetitive behaviours or the sensory interests. Um, And I think if we did include that, we would be a lot better at at sort of picking up the girls and at them reaching that diagnostic threshold, because that's often something that comes across, but then isn't included in the counting. Would you be able to just explain what the ADOS test is? Oh, yes. Uh, So the ADOS is um, what we call a structured observation. So the person running it, for example, me, in my research I sometimes do it, or um, a psychiatrist or clinical psychologist if they're in a diagnostic setting, has a set of things we're supposed to ask the person to do, a set of questions we ask them, um, so there's, off, there's um, quite a lot of storytelling tasks or we ask questions about how you get on with people, um, 
how you think about different emotions, things like that. And then we look at how people have responded to those questions or how they've responded to the situations to see whether they display what are considered stereotypical autistic interests. Um, the reason that that can be difficult for women and girls, so for example in one of the storytelling tasks you make up a story, um, traditionally we would expect that to be quite difficult for autistic people because there's a, a general thought that autistic people may struggle more than neurotypical people with spontaneous creativity but autistic girls are very good at um, recreating a story they've read in a book. So it looks like they've created a story, um, actually they're copying something, but it means that they don't score on that measure because they have created a story. Um, and so what you actually have to do is then, for working with women and girls, is you need to then go, is that something you've made up on the spot or is that like a book you've read before and you have to almost go slightly deeper into those standard measures to see whether an autistic girl or woman is using compensating strategies I think. <laughs> Sorry that was a much longer answer than you're probably expecting. <laughs> so my next question is about the diagnostic process and I mm -hmm. wanted to ask you how do we um, how do you believe we can make the diagnostic process more equal for autistic women? Which, but you've kind of just answered that in your last question. Yeah, I think the other thing to say is that we really need to make sure that clinicians are aware of how autism can present in women and girls and can be different. At the moment there are still a lot of professionals out there who aren't familiar with it and that um, impacts on whether they even refer girls for, for a diagnosis, let alone whether they then get it. So, have you noticed any characteristics of autism that are unique to autistic women and girls and commonly missed or misjudged by other people? Um, I would say yes in my work, although I will point out that I've mainly worked with um, people who are cognitively able and so I can't speak for everybody on the spectrum. Um, I would say that girls and women tend to be much more internalising with their um, with their traits, so they have the same underlying challenges in understanding other people or finding other people bizarre, which frankly makes sense a lot of the time. Um, neurotypicals do some very strange things. Um, but where the traditional view of autism is that that leads to um, externalising aggressive outbursts and sort of meltdowns and very visible frustrated behaviours, autistic girls and women are much more likely to be internalising and make it uh, and, and develop anxiety about it and think that it's them who's getting it wrong and they don't understand um, and so they are more likely to be quite shy and withdrawn and be the person who sits at the back of the class and maybe watches what everybody else is doing to work out what's going on rather than being at the front of the room shouting I don't understand. So from your research, what are the potential consequences of a missed or late diagnosis for autistic women and girls? Um, so the first one is the fact that they, if the later your diagnosis, the less time you've had support for um, and the longer you've had to try and understand this world that doesn't always make a lot of sense without any sort of guidelines or without any explanation for why you're finding it difficult. Um, and that plays back into the anxiety I've talked about and also can lead to the development of mental health issues mm. um, because if you constantly feel like 
you're getting the world wrong or you keep saying the wrong thing or you can't understand why your friend's fallen out with you um, it's very easy to assume that you are the problem um, and to develop a lot of self-blame and that can lead to as I said anxiety but also depression um, so my first question is why do you think females learn to mask their autism so the research at the moment seems to suggest that autistic females have higher levels of what we call social motivation uh, which means that they care more about fitting in they care more about having friends um, they try much harder to make friends things like that and so um, quite early on a lot of autistic girls and women learn that the more neurotypical they can make themselves appear the more likely other people are to like them and to be nice to them or at least to not pick on them for being odd and I think that's why a lot of autistic females and some males develop masking strategies to try and fit in to try and um, make their lives easier in terms of not being picked on by other people even if it makes it more difficult for them sort of inside their heads and for their own emotional well-being. Thank you. So do you think it's misunderstood how autism can affect females? Yes, definitely. Um, I think it's improving. I think more people know and I think we're learning a lot more than we've ever known before. But at the moment, generally, I would say yes, it is misunderstood. Um, as I've said, some people have even said to me, I didn't know girls could be autistic. And if you're starting from a point where people don't think it even exists, you know, you've got a lot for people to learn. Um, and what do you think the impact of females masking their autism has on them? Um, like I've said, I think it, there are a lot of mental health consequences. It's very, it, it's hard work. Um, there's some, been some really good research on it, or just starting to be. Um, and one uh, paper found, talked to people about what's it like having to mask or trying to mask. And the main feedback was, it's exhausting. Um, if you're consciously thinking about the things you're trying to do all the time and how to behave and how to say hello to someone and do I say hello to that person or this person first, if you're consciously processing everything you do all the time, it is exhausting. Um, and that will lead to mental health issues, to um, anxiety, depression, to breakdown for some people, or um, I've seen people, autistic people online describing it as burnout. You know, you're trying so hard all the time that you just can't, you, you get to a point where you have to stop and you have to withdraw. Um, and you don't want people to feel like that, you know. It would be much better if people didn't feel the need to mask, um, so that they could be themselves and not have all those difficulties. Thank you. So you've mentioned mental health issues twice. Yeah. Anxiety and depression. Have you noticed any other mental health issues? Yes. Um, so eating disorders are also quite common. Um, they are more common seemingly amongst autistic people than they are amongst neurotypical people, I should say. They're still not hugely common, luckily. Um, but there is research that suggests that there's a link between autism and anorexia in autistic females. Um, possibly because, uh, similar to neurotypicals, your food intake is something that's very easy to control in a world that feels very unpredictable, um, but also because um, of a preference for sameness and for rules can be quite easy to set yourself food rules and then you stick to them. Um, equally, 
I know somebody who is both autistic and has anorexia and for her it isn't about trying to be thin, it isn't about a lot of the social things that we traditionally associate with eating disorders. Um, she has developed a special interest in a specific number and she will work obsessively to reach that goal weight despite cognitively knowing that it's not healthy for her. Um, so there are lots of ways in which those might overlap and my current job is actually trying to investigate some of those. Um, are there any particular forms of support that you think would be beneficial for autistic women and girls in particular? Obviously there's a notable lack of support yeah. throughout. Yeah, yeah that was going to be my first point, is yeah. there's not a huge amount out there, particularly in comparison to what there is for boys and men. Um, I think girls, girls and women, so I, my PhD mainly worked with um, high school secondary school although I also had an adult study um, my takeaway was that those girls needed support with their friendships which is different to the support that currently exists for boys um, the friendships of girls and boys are very different um, girls tend to sit and talk to each other there's a lot more um, focus on the emotional information you share with each other you do different activities boys often will go and play their video games together or play football together and it's very activity focused whereas girls friendships are much more people focused and that means that also the difficulties in girls relationships are much more people focused it's gossiping about people it's talking behind their back it's leaving somebody out and managing that uh, what's called relational aggression um, is very difficult for, or was very difficult for the autistic girls i worked with and I think support about managing that, recognising it for a start. Um, some girls didn't realise that they were being bullied, which is a very difficult thing to be happening because they thought those people were their friends when they really weren't. Um, but recognising that and developing strategies to manage it and make other better friendships, I think would be really important because unfortunately, those behaviours continue into adulthood. The autistic women I worked with were still having people who gossiped about them, like other mums at school or something. And so I think if you've got those skills as a teenager, you can then continue to use them in adulthood. So I think that would be a really important one for making people's social lives a lot easier and a lot more positive for them. Um, as a research assistant, could yes. you outline any current your current focus? anything you're studying in particular at the moment? Okay, so um, at the moment I'm working on a pr project called the Beacon Project at King's College London um, and we're looking at whether there are um, cognitive and behavioural links between autism and anorexia. What that means in sort of non-research speak <laughs> is we, are, we do a range of um, tasks with people, both patients with anorexia and people without anorexia um, they, and it looks at things like how they uh, recognise and process emotions, um, theory of mind, and um, well, they do all of that in our research offices and then we put them in an MRI scanner and we give them some tests again and we have a look at which bits of their brain are lighting up while they do that problem solving. And we're looking to see whether people who have high and low autistic traits respond differently to those situations in the hope that um, 
that will inform us in developing new treatments for anorexia that are specific to people who have both anorexia and autism um, because at the moment it appears that people with more autistic traits or who are autistic struggle to engage with the traditional anorexia therapies and so their illness lasts longer and therefore sadly is more likely to be fatal. Um, so that's uh, the main part of my job but I'm also doing my own research to look at the incidence of eating disorders amongst autistic people because at the moment all of the research has looked at autism traits in a clinical anorexia population and I'm trying to look at it from the other point of view and say okay we know that more anorexia bleh, more anorexic patients have high autistic traits than the typical population but we don't actually know anything about eating behaviours in, aut in autistic adults so I'm trying to do both sides of the question at once at the moment. Do you think that could be related to sensory issues? Absolutely, um, that's coming out really clearly um, the sensory avoidance of food is a huge thing or specific foods um, but again nobody's really looked at that yet mm. so there's a lot of work to be done. Definitely mm. yeah. So I think the, um, the main points are that autistic women and girls have been missed because they don't have the male presentation of autism mm. and because of that there's a lack of services which there are in general for everybody Yes. <laughs> and um, obviously a lack of nuanced specific support that can obviously lead to the development of more significant issues as time goes on unfortunately. I don't know if it relates to it, it and I suppose yeah. um, it, the fact that um, like CAMS teams don't have don't always have people that specialise in autism. Mm. Like my CAM team, for example, they don't have a person that knows about like ASD or whatever, so you can't like, you just have to kind of hope that they are willing to learn about it and you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, the, um, the CAMS provision is not brilliant always and it's very much dependent on where you are as to the level of knowledge they've got and the expertise they've got. Um, most CAMS workers are trying their best with less and less money and more and more work, but unfortunately it means that they often really do miss people and really can't support them, um, often until they're at a crisis point, which is kind of, you, you don't want anybody to have to get there to get the help, you want to be able to intervene before people get to get there. Um, the sort of in inappropriate engagement with mental health services seems to be quite a thing, particularly for adult women, hopefully less so for girls and women who are being diagnosed now, but women who had had a late diagnosis but previously have been given inappropriate psychoactive medicine because somebody thought that they were bipolar or somebody thought they had personality disorders or some, like some people have been misdiagnosed as schizophrenic yeah. because um, some of the questions on a schizophrenia screen questionnaire, um, if you interpret them literally, you, you come across as potentially having schizophrenia. So for example it says, um, do you hear things that other people say they can't hear? Well that's asking about auditory hallucinations, but if you, if you have hypersensitive hearing and you say, well yes, I hear things that other people don't hear, the doctor ticks auditory hallucinations, what's actually happened is you've got a sensory difference. Mm -hmm. um, or uh, another one of the questions is something like, do you think that people are talking about you? 
um, when they say they aren't? And that's a, that's a paranoia question. But equally, lots of autistic people will have had people talking about them at different times who will then go, oh no, no, it's fine. And that's mm. because socially, that's a white lie. You don't tell people, oh yeah, we were just talking about you. Mm. But the autistic person interprets that question literally and gives the, the so-called wrong answer that can lead to a misdiagnosis. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, like I say, we're just going to try and keep telling more people so that it becomes part of the standard knowledge rather than you're lucky if somebody is interested and chooses to learn it. And interestingly, um, autism is now being included in teacher training on special education <laughs> from, I think it's either 2019 or 2020, it's going to be part of the PGCE standard curriculum, which it wasn't previously. Mm. And um, I know there is a push to try and get autism and in girls included in that training so that they are aware that there are different presentations that are traditionally associated with boys and girls and that they might need different support. What has been your experiences of sort of the diagnostic process or was it difficult for you to get there or you know how how does it feel to go through it I suppose is my question. Um, well for me my autism was only found because I had an assessment for other mental health issues. Right. So I was about 13, 14. I'd gone through mainstream school with no suspected differences whatsoever. And, and I got obviously very badly bullied until the point that I developed quite significant mental health issues and was referred to the child um, mental health team, yeah. Cams, yeah. And then I was assessed there and only then was it picked up on that I had some autistic traits. Yeah. So my path to diagnosis was accidental in a way. That's actually quite common yes. for autistic um, girls and particularly adult women who get a late diagnosis. They've often had multiple mental health issues and mental health diagnoses before a clinician finally looks at the piece of paper and goes, actually, all of this adds up to potential autism. Mm. Um, yeah. How about you? Um, it's kind of similar, but um, when I was younger, my parents picked up on like the fact that I wasn't like developing in the same way to my brothers mm -hmm. and obviously my mum had raised all three of us pretty similar and yeah. she knew that something wasn't quite right so um she brought that up and then the and cams kind of didn't really listen they kind of just put it down to anxiety um and said that i was just a really anxious child um i was a really angry child as well like i used to i'd be fine in school and then i'd come home and i'd take it out on my mum kind of because i knew that she would always put up with it kind of thing she'd love me and you know and I actually managed quite well apart from that I managed quite well like outside of the house and in school for a few years but then by the time I was like 15 or something um, I was in year 11 at school um, I kind of couldn't really cope anymore like I didn't have any friends I um, didn't understand why um, and then I kind of kept trying to say to my mum like that I wasn't coping but I didn't know why kind of thing and then like you mentioned earlier um, I a lot I started like using like um, food to like kind of control how I was feeling and like I, that was my focus like I became obsessed with that and my mum picked up on this um, she had friends who had children that had eating disorders and stuff and she picked up on it and then I was referred to CAMS and I was lucky because I got help quite quick and it didn't develop into anything more but then I just replaced it with um, things like self-harm um, in other ways and then 
it kind of just got worse to the point that um, I ended up in hospital and then um, I was there for about eight months and only then did my mum and my CAMS clinician really turn around and say yeah there's something like going on here more than like why did she end up depressed why what's going on and then finally as soon as my mum had someone that supported her and backed her up they kind of listened but even then it was still a struggle because they said that the diagnosis waiting list was like three years and my mum said that she wasn't waiting that long so in the end she's basically said I'm not taking her home until you assess her and then they did actually find the money for a private assessment and then they diagnosed me in like two weeks. Wow yeah so. fair enough sadly that's also not that's also a story I've heard before or something similar particularly the idea that you you work really hard to hold it together all day at school and then you come home and it's and that's when you can let your guard down and have a meltdown or you know just want to lock yourself away in your room um, and part of the issue with that is one it's really not healthy for you um, that's not a great way for anybody to try and cope with their life but equally um, some schools will then ref re will refuse to refer to an educational psychologist because they say well she's fine at school um, I know somebody that that's happened to as well um, so that's part of why I was saying you know, we really need to improve the knowledge because if not just clinicians but teachers and people who work with you in other settings yes. realise this is an option, the help can get there a lot quicker. Because it's so often dismissed as shyness, as bad yeah. behaviour, that's just a personality, she's just quiet. Yeah. 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 And that delays it even more though. It can do, yeah. um, particularly as being shy and quiet is what we associate with being a good girl. Mm. Um, so I think there are some real issues around how we conceptualise just being female, let alone being female and autistic, but those views of make it even harder to rec for autistic girls to get recognised and get support, I think. Thank you. Oh, thank you for talking to me. Thank you for joining us today. Please speak to your GP if you have been affected by any of the issues raised in this podcast. For advice and support on mental health and eating disorders, you can visit mind.org.uk or beateatingdisorders.org.uk or visit the NHS website. Thank you.